Natasha Ryan with the North Group. This is our podcast, Time to Head North. And I am so excited to have my two guests here today with me. I'm gonna I'm gonna intro you both and then let you do your own backgrounds here. So up top, we have Ron Conlin. He's done years and years of volunteer work with the American Red Cross. He's a veteran security professional. Down below, we have Jason Butes, who is actually in Florida and the director of security for Americana Labs. So I'm gonna start with you, Ron, just give us a little bit about who you are, background, and don't forget to unmute. Good morning, Natasha. Thanks morning. for having me on. Um, yeah, I've been uh, volunteering with the Red Cross for a few decades, uh, since 1986, I guess. And uh, I've been involved in uh, disasters uh, throughout the world, uh, everything from hurricanes, which we're talking about now, to volcanoes and floods and fires and uh, you name it. Um, my first exposure to uh, a hurricane was when I lived in New Orleans in my teens. Uh, we got wiped out by Hurricane Betsy in 1965. And uh, so uh, my exposure with the Red Cross continued on from there when I was in the, in the service and then when I was in law enforcement. So I figured uh, that was kind of a sign that I should be involved. And uh, uh, the most uh, prominent hurricane I think I've worked with Hurricane Sandy. I worked uh, Superstorm Sandy for uh, some period of time and uh, uh, learned a lot from uh, exactly what a hurricane can do to people. So uh, I've been in the security profession since uh, I retired from law enforcement. So that was uh, 25, 30 years ago. And um, I appreciate the opportunity to come on the show and talk about the hurricanes and what the Red Cross is doing. Thank you so much, Ron. Jason? Hey, Natasha. Um, Jason Butes with Americana Laboratories. I'm the director of corporate security down here in Florida, Jacksonville. Um, I've got about 25 years under my belt of security experience uh, working on all sorts of different verticals within the security industry um, and, and coming from a lot of different uh, experiences that I can tap into. I've uh, been on numerous hurricane details, uh, both pre-deployment and post-disaster uh, deployments. Um, so looking forward to the conversation and thanks for having me. Of course. I'm going to actually go to you, Jason, first because you're in Florida you know, we have the death toll over 100, the president's set to visit tomorrow. What, I guess I want to start with what, what was it like? What did you experience? Obviously, Jacksonville wasn't heavily hit or affected like Fort Myers or the other, the other areas in Florida. But kind of what, what do you have to do when you're in Florida? What'd you see and what'd you have to do to prepare for the storms? Well, the, the, the number one thing, you know, and, and I just want to point out Jacksonville was definitely spared in, in this case where we're located. Uh, however, uh, as the storm was approaching uh, down around Fort Myers, I was actually in the Fort Myers area uh, visiting with a client down there and I was watching the initial bands come through and you could just kind of sense that this was going to be a rough one, uh, especially for the way it came on shore. But security overall, um, you have to have a plan. If you don't have a plan from either a business you know, standpoint or from a personal standpoint with your family, if you don't have a plan, um, when, when it's time to make decisions, you're not going to know what to do. And then you, you start having conversations. Well, what do we do when the hurricane's bearing down on you? That is not the time to 
you know, have uh, those conversations. Those conversations need to be happening before, you know, disaster strikes, long before disaster strikes. So having a plan in place is really the most paramount thing. And it doesn't matter whether it's hurricanes, earthquakes, uh, you know, like Ron said, volcanoes, even if there's a volcano in your area, you need to have a plan for what's going to happen. And that's kind of the basis of security uh, to really understand what the threats you are that are facing, what the risks are in your area and, and put something together so that when it happens and everybody starts panicking, you have a plan that you can implement and you know exactly what to do moving forward. During what kind of specific things do you have to do that most people wouldn't think about? Uh, for a hurricane, for example, um, we look at, you know, obviously what is the strength of the storm? Uh, we have different plans based on what is coming our way, what's going to be heading towards us. Do we need to put up the shutters? What side of the building is going to be the most effective? Uh, what are our plans for power restoration? What is our business continuity plan? What is our communication plan, both pre- during and post disaster. Um, and these are all things that even though Jacksonville did not get hit in this one specific time, we spent an entire week preparing our facility and our communication plans and making sure that and testing everything ahead of the storm to make sure everything was gonna function properly for us. Absolutely, it's, it's getting to the left of it instead of the right of it, which is the premise of all security functions, right? As you said, um, Ron, I wanna to go to you for like the preps on the humanitarian side, right? So what does, when the American Red Cross hears that Hurricane Ian is on the way, what's the first thing that the Red Cross enacts to prepare? Well, first of all, uh, I can tell Jason's been around the block. Uh, in disasters, you can tell from talking, uh, listening to them. But uh, regarding Ian, the Red Cross, uh, before the first wind, before the first raindrops, uh, we started to deploy volunteers uh, and equipment and supplies uh, down to Florida. Um, we currently have about 1,200 in, uh, volunteers from around the country that are uh, in Florida helping set up shelters. We have about 120 vehicles, 80 of those being used for uh, mobile feeding sites going around different locations. Um, as of day before yesterday, we served with our partners about 120,000 meals. Um, we have uh, 33 emergency shelters uh, that we're operating. Uh, either solely uh, or in partnership with one of our other uh, partners. And um, so staging that ahead of time gave us the opportunity to be to be ready. And as Jason mentioned, you have to have a, a plan uh, ahead of time because waiting to the last minute, uh, it, it's too late by then. You know, everything kind of centers in life around security, in my opinion, right? So something even as as important as making sure there are meals to feed people. If there isn't food, right, that can lead to unrest and security concerns. My question is, with the, with the inflation prices we're seeing with food and the supply chains, ha has that affected the Red Cross's ability to get things down to Florida the way they need to? Well, it hasn't prevented us from from uh, from being able to serve our clients, but obviously it's impacted us financially. And uh, 
our donors give us money and, and it's our responsibility to use it wisely. And working in Florida, we're working with one of our partners, the Baptist uh, Missions and uh, the Southern Baptist. And uh, they set up kitchens and uh, prepare can prepare up to 40,000 meals a day. And uh, those meals are then distributed uh, geographically to the, to the most needy areas. So when you're in the middle of the storm and you have... Um, you have people's lives in danger. What what does the Red Cross do in those moments? Like we know what it does leading up to it now. What what happens in those moments? Does everyone just hunker down and kind of pray for the best or do you have volunteers out there? How does that work? What does that look like? Well, first of all, we have local volunteers in Florida uh, and then bringing in volunteers from all around the country. But what's important is strategically looking at um, where the least amount of damage may be to set up a shelter because we certainly don't want to endanger our volunteers or or the clients that we end up serving it's like the hotel red cross where where people come in and are put up and expect to be in a safe environment and so uh being able to uh look at the plans and being able to decipher which areas are are the best areas to set up and then advertise that through the media to get people to come to the shelters. Jason, I want to come to you now, like in, in I'm kind of doing this chronologically, if you if you haven't picked up on that. So so we're in the middle of the storm. What does it look like from a security perspective and business perspective, right, that you have to cease operations? You know, how does that impact your company? Uh, well, obviously, you know, there's going to be a loss of revenue. Um, but again, going back to the fundamental of if you have a plan, these are things that you can plan for, which falls into the business continuity. Um, when you're in the middle of the storm, nothing's happening. Uh, you're, you're entirely focused on the storm. You're entirely focused on maintaining the integrity of your facility. Um, and, and most times people are not actually in our building. Now, thankfully, we have a wonderful building that uh, we're housed in that can withstand just about any kind of uh, hurricane that would come through. Um, so, so we really have a safe and secure facility here. Um, but, but as far as business operations go, everything comes to a standstill. Um, there's no supply chain coming in. There's no supplies going out. Uh, personnel are not able to come in, you know, to, to the building um, because safety is, is the priority. You, you, safety is paramount above everything when it comes to these storms. Uh, we want our staff to be home. We want them to be safe. We want them to be with their families. And uh, in the middle of the storm, if something happens, our, our employees also have access to our facility as a safe refuge to get to if something happens to their home or something of that nature. Not every business can do that, but uh, most businesses in the area just shut down, hunker down, and uh, we try to get everything back open as quick as possible uh, and start providing services as quick as possible, you know, once, uh, once the storm has gone through. I would imagine you being in Florida, you have quite a few of those days in the budget where you say this could this could have a no revenue day, right? Because yep. of your geographic location. Yep. Um, so, you know, going back to the, the human side of all of this, Jason, you're in Florida. What, what have you seen? I mean, you were in one of the hardest hit areas at the time of the hurricane. What kind of losses you know, are your your clients, your employees, your family, your friends, what are you seeing there? 
Well, Natasha, I was in at the very, very beginning when it first started uh, bringing the outer bands on shore. So I wasn't there for, for the mass destruction that uh, ensued. I, I actually was planning on staying overnight in the area, but the, the, the situation down there was deteriorating so rapidly. I made the choice to get on the highway and uh, evacuate out of the area and get back up to Jacksonville. Um, but I've talked to a lot of my friends that are deployed down there. Um, they're having difficult times. Um, it is disaster. A couple people referenced uh, Mexico City uh, and the disaster we had in Mexico City just a few years ago. Uh, they're saying that it is equivalent to, if not worse, uh, for the amount of damage that was done. Um, they, they said it's just absolutely catastrophic. And these are seasoned guys that have been out, you know, post-hurricane details. They were in Puerto Rico after Maria. They're down in Fort Myers right now, and they're saying it's 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 pretty bad. So I think uh, we've got a long road to reconstruction of the Fort Myers Naples area down there. And uh, from the from the human side of it, um, you know, one of the things that I learned a long time ago is when you listen to your local emergency operations personnel, your local emergency operations center, you can listen to the National Weather Service all you want. You can listen to you know the Weather Channel all you want, but if you're not listening to your local emergency operations uh, communications, they're the ones that are going to tell you when it's time to go. And, and people need to, to heed those warnings, especially if they're not prepared for uh, what's coming their way. Do you think most people even know that? Probably not. Uh, a lot of people watch the Weather Channel. A lot of people think I'll just watch the news. Um, but, you know, a, a hurricane coming on shore can change course at any last minute. And the first people to have that information is going to be your emergency operations center. And they're the ones they, they're on social media, they're on local radio. They put out all this information routinely uh, and regularly any updates that come out. That is much more viable source of information than waiting for the next uh, you know two minute video segment from the Weather Channel. Ron, what are your volunteers seeing? Have you, have you heard any stories or reports back? Uh, sure. I mean, the the emotional stress that people go through when they lose their homes. I mean, it. First of all, it's it's really difficult for people to evacuate because your home is your castle, and all your mementos, your whole life is is based around where you live, and uh, for them to evacuate is stressful to begin with, and then when they get to the shelters, uh, they're listening to the news they're watching how their homes are being destroyed um so there's tremendous amount of of anxiety and so our our mental health people work full-time uh trying to provide services to people to to make it just a little bit easier for them to uh uh to cope with the disaster and also the long and tedious and complex recovery that needs to take place with tens of thousands of, of people in Florida over the next couple of years. So uh, our volunteers have uh, uh, have felt that pain and felt that stress as well. And we provide counseling to our, our volunteers as well. And they've seen everything from, from clients showing up with uh, uh, with possessions and then having a snake pop out of, of one of their bags or whatever that they didn't realize got in there. And then, hell, heck, in Florida, I was about to curse. 
in Florida, um, I mean, you got gators. So uh, I thought of that. Ugh. Yeah, that's that's uh, that that's going to be a, a challenge that that uh, a lot of us have never faced before is having to worry about a gator coming up on you. But uh, uh, our volunteers, most of our volunteers that are, are down in Florida are veterans. They've been through situations before, so um, they know what to look for. But the biggest thing with our clients is and, and our volunteers is the stress level. What is the biggest security concern right now moving forward post hurricane? What, you know, and I want to open this up to both of you as security professionals, what it, you know, people are at their most vulnerable right now at this moment, they've lost things. They, you know, they probably don't have internet, the cell phone coverage is, you know, I don't know if that's been completely restored, but you know, what is the biggest, is it cyber? Is it physical? What do you think the biggest security threat is right now to these hurricane victims in Florida? Well, as far as, as, far as viewpoint, my viewpoint is that, first of all, you have people that travel the country specifically going to disasters to perpetrate crimes, to take advantage of the, of the elderly, to take advantage of people that are stressed out, waiting for people to leave their homes before they go in and pilfer. Um, you also have a variety of uh, groups that try to start up uh, collections for uh, disaster funds that are fraudulent. Mm -hmm. And um, so th those are the, the those are the kind of things that unfortunately happen anytime you have a disaster. And and um, uh, we we are very very cautious about when we set up a shelter, making sure that it's safe for our clients, uh, so that people that from the outside that may want to take advantage of those clients uh, or their security are are kept out. Jason, I want to come to you. Like as far as you know, my thought is so much of the crime that is hitting us lately is is not just physical it's cyber right like people going in and and taking information when you're shut down and you're not all hands on deck and is during these moments is that a is that a big concern for your company actually ironically natasha it's not um because we 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 have plans put in place um and obviously i'm not going to get into the exacts uh the exact parts of the plan but uh, we do backups on everything uh everything is shut down everything's taken offline um so so we don't really have to worry too much about cyber um some businesses uh like being able to completely disconnect and take offline some businesses say absolutely not we can't go offline um, so obviously it becomes it becomes a threat, but even then cyber is not too much of an issue during a natural disaster because if you're still online, everything's being managed from a remote location. So even though someone's not physically in the building, you know, watching for threats or any attacks that come on onto your databases or, or your servers, uh, you still have someone remotely as well as good security programs in place already. So it's not too much of a threat that we see. I wonder if we're going to see more people's personal bank accounts who are victims get hit through all of this while they're down and offline. Thoughts? 
I, I, I would say that most likely one of the things, if you've never been in a post hurricane situation, there is debris everywhere. Um, and when someone loses their house, like Ron was saying, that is their belongings. That is their personal effects. You're going to find mortgage papers floating around in the street, bank statements floating around, you know, blowing in the wind. Effects go everywhere. There's there's no way to contain it all. Um, so so, yeah, there, there, there is probably some likelihood that people will have some identity theft uh, out of it. And there are, of course, predators like Ron was saying that, that prey on. You know, these people, when they're down on their luck, when they're having the the hardest time of their lives and going through something so significant. And I and I guarantee in the aftermath of all of this, they're not thinking clearly, reasonably why they're not thinking clearly, but they're also not thinking to these threats. Right. So, you know, Ron, how does the American Red Cross, you know, move forward like post hurricane? What do you teach your clients to, to do to safeguard after a hurricane and, and keep themselves protected. Does the Red Cross touch on that? Uh, a, a little bit. Uh, our primary uh, concern working with the clients long-term is, is their recovery um, and their personal security as far as going back to their homes and everything else. We leave that up to the, to the professionals uh, to, to handle. We do give them tips, uh, everything on what to look for, look for when they go back to the house. Uh, if, if the front door is stuck, don't try to open it because it could be holding up the rest of the house. Try to find another way in. Uh, look for the snakes, look for the bugs. And when you're going out in, in the area that's been flooded, we're talking about gasoline, we're talking about chemicals, household chemicals all the kind of things that can be an irritant to to your skin or even lethal in, so, in some situations. So just trying to tell people, be careful, don't go out in flip-flops to take a look and see what damage that your house has and, and get nails stuck through. I mean, simple things that people don't think of. Right. To being in the warm weather and wearing flip-flops and then they go try to find and salvage what they can from their homes. Talking about having to watch for gators and snakes is just surreal to me. I mean, I'm in Seattle. I can't even wrap my head around that. I think I would maybe just drop dead of a heart attack if I saw a snake or a gator come out and come at me. Um, <laughs> but it's but these are all real threats. Um, I want to shift now to the sustained need for giving because I'm sure, you know, America, God bless us, has the attention spans of gnats. So is something new comes into the news cycle and the hurricane goes out, how challenging is it to keep it in the news at the forefront and keep the donations and the money coming in, Ron? Well, you're absolutely right. The news cycle has a lot to do with uh, people's uh, generosity at times because they, they, they go to another disaster and start to donate there. But, um, it you know, our our our, uh, our donors that have been with us for a long long time are the backbone of of uh, of of the Red Cross funding, um, and we constantly reach out to the public through PSAs and and uh, uh, through other sources that that uh, the situation continues on just because the news cycle has changed. 
uh, we're talking in Florida, we're probably talking a couple of years before they they even see daylight with the amount of damage. Uh, judging from Superstorm Sandy, heck, they're still still working on uh, recovery, and and that's that's been how long. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a challenge, but uh, uh, knock on wood, so far our our donors have come through, and and uh, uh, we look forward to being able to service the clients to the best best of our ability. Jason, you're you're in Florida, and and we're talking about the rebuild. I mean, what what does that even look like in in your opinion? You know, you have clients down there. You're hearing the stories. You see the damage from your local stations and news updates and clients and colleagues. I mean, what does this road even look like at this point? I I think uh, you know the beautiful thing about Florida is while well, we 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 live in paradise and we've been through these hurricanes before. So we kind of are adept and our local governments and local communities are adept at starting the process of rebuilding. Every storm is different. The damage that is done is different in every storm. Um, there's really no one way that rebuilding takes place other than someone's going to come in uh, from the government level on the local state level, one of those two, and they're going to say, this is what needs to happen. And that's where the emergency planners, the crisis managers uh, that are employed by the local governments are, are really going to come into play. And I do agree with Ron, we have a long ways to go uh, to rebuild from this. And this is not something that we're going to be, you know, in 12 months, everything's going to be back to normal. That's just not going to be possible with the amount of destruction that, that was done down there for this one. My last question is, you know, after Katrina, people kind of got a wake up call on listening at the evacuation orders. Did we see enough people evacuate this time or not really? I, I was actually in some of that evacuation traffic and, and, and it, it was handled really well. And I, I think more people evacuated for this storm than, than, than historically would have been. I don't have any numbers to back that up. Um, but, but from what I've seen and, and from reports that I'm hearing, more evacuated than didn't evacuate, so to speak. Um, I, I think people were taking this one seriously, you know, originally even just the day before this came on shore, they were talking about this being a category three. And then almost overnight, it turned into a category four, almost two miles an hour less than a category five, and then decided to come ashore. So I, I think people, you know, they got that wake up call in Katrina. They're starting to understand, you know, if there's a mandatory evacuation order, you might want to go ahead and listen to that. But it's hard for people to leave their castle behind, like Ron said. You know, it, it, it's a very emotional thing to evacuate, look at your house in the rearview mirror and realize you may never see it again. Um, so uh, I think people are paying attention more now, but uh, it's something that you're never going to be able to evacuate 100% of the people. Ron, I want to come to you for the last question. You know, not only do you need donations, but you need manpower. You need people to volunteer. So if anyone's listening or watching this that kind of had an inclination to maybe do it one day or says, how can I help? What would you say to them? We can definitely use the help. Uh, and if they go to 1-800-RED-CROSS or redcross.org, uh, they can sign up to be a volunteer. Um, and uh, they can also donate 
to both 1-800-RED-CROSS or redcross.org. And I, I, I want to make sure people understand because I've gone through the training years and years ago and it's not still in effect, but the Red Cross does train you. They don't just throw you to the wolves and say, go. <laughs> no, right, Ron? We, we try not to throw them out to the wolves. Uh, no, they go through basic training, just like uh, going to work for a company and learning the ropes. Um, so they go through basic training and then, and then there's uh, they're always working with somebody that has experience that has been out before that can kind of guide them in the right direction as well. So, uh, yeah, the training doesn't take that long uh, and people pick up on it uh, pretty well because a lot of it is uh, uh, a lot of it is just uh, being savvy on on uh, how to get involved, how to talk to people. Uh, having people skills is important when we're operating shelters that our, our volunteers can communicate effectively with, with our clients. Um, teaching them now, you know, the big thing these days is uh, not only evacuating and putting up shelters for people, but also their pets, which is a real challenge. And some people bring snakes and and lizards and 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 that's their uh that's their pets so it's a it it's a challenge because if you ever had try to operate a shelter with dogs and cats and and snakes all in the same room it can be <laughs> it can be kind of hectic so uh that in itself requires a security team <laughs> exactly yeah we, we have to get jason to, to come in and and, and help out yeah, I, I don't do animals, Ron. Sorry, man. <laughs> Jason's bowing out on that one. Well, hey, listen, of course, our thoughts and prayers are with all those affected, all of those serving the greater good and volunteering. Uh, thank you so much, both of you, for being here. And of course, to all of you, please stay tuned. We are going to have more episodes, of course, and you can check out past ones on our website at tngdefense.com. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Natasha. Nice meeting you, Jason. Nice meeting you, Ron. Thanks, Natasha. Bye, everyone.